connect to them. Dry bones is equal, connect to them. Dry bones is equal, connect to them. Dry bones, now hear the word of the Lord. Well, your toe bone connected to you. Foot bone, your foot bone connected to you. Heel bone, your heel bone connected to you. Ankle bone, your ankle bone connected to you. Leg bone, your leg bone connected to you. Knee bone, your knee bone connected to you. Thigh bone, your thigh bone connected to you. Hip bone, your hip bone connected to you. Backbone, your backbone connected to you. Shoulder bone, your shoulder bone connected to you. Neck bone, your neck bone connected to you. Head bone, I hear the word of the Lord. A dim bones, dim bones gonna walk around. A dim bones, dim bones gonna walk around. A dim bones, dim bones gonna walk around. Now hear the word of the Lord. Disconnect dim bones, dim dry bones. Disconnect dim bones, dim dry bones. Disconnect dim bones, dim dry bones. Now hear the word of the Lord. Well, you hear. Connected from you, neck bone, your neck bone connected from you, shoulder bone, your shoulder bone connected from you, backbone, your backbone connected from you, hip bone, your hip bone connected from you, thigh bone, your thigh bone connected from you, knee bone, your knee bone connected from you, leg bone, your leg bone connected from you, ankle bone, your ankle bone connected from you. My name is Simon Carver and welcome to Dagnall Street Baptist Church's podcast service for Sunday the 26th of March. The song we've just heard is a little left field as it references the story in Ezekiel 37 about the valley of dry bones that were brought to life. This is the Old Testament reading for today, but we'll be focusing on the Gospel account of the raising of Lazarus, a reminder that Easter is coming soon. This week's music includes songs by the Delta Rhythm Boys, Cellar and the Martins. Some notices. Today's on-site service is an all-age messy church, the last until after Easter, and all are welcome. Our Lent groups are continuing on Tuesday this week with two sessions at 2.30 and 7.30 in the Cross Street Centre when we'll see the sixth episode of the web television series The Chosen, an imaginative retelling of the story of Jesus. As I've said before, it's very easy to pick up the story, so please come along to either the afternoon or evening sessions, even if you've missed any of the previous ones. The April edition of the Church magazine is now available. And now our call to worship, 
Some verses from Psalm 130. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. Let us give thanks to the Lord who shares our sorrows. 
let us praise the Lord who gives us life in all its fullness. Loving God, we thank you for sending us your Son, Jesus. Help us to see that he shared this earthly life fully, its joys and sorrows, triumphs and defeats, bliss and pain. May we draw comfort from the knowledge that he is with us in good times and bad, and understands all our experiences. Dear Lord, we come before you now, all of us knowing something of the tragedy of loss. It can hit in many different ways. There are times when we are sunk so deep in our sense of loss and isolation that we can't see beyond it. Times when we don't want to let anyone else in, keeping everything bottled up inside, even our tears. Times when we are unable to reach out to others, even when they share the same grief. Forgive us, Lord. Grant us your peace and compassion. There are times when we try to rush ourselves or others through the emotions of grief, not giving much needed space. There are times when we can't see how anybody else's loss can possibly be as bad as ours. Forgive us, Lord. Grant us your peace and compassion. Lord God, you know every thought of our heart and every breath we take. You know when we truly see the light, the error of our ways. You know when we are just totally overwhelmed. You know all this, yet still you love us and have the power to free us from our sins. We bow our heads and accept your loving forgiveness, Lord. Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 11, beginning at the first verse. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus, telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, There are twelve hours of daylight every day. During the day people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come. Let's go to see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, 
Let's go too and die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, Your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher is here and he wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep, so they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. But some said, This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, Unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. The Gospel according to John refers to seven signs that Jesus gave that pointed towards who he was and towards the life that he offered. And that story I've just read is one of those signs. Jesus and his people were on their way to Bethany and what happened there was a major contributory factor 
towards what happened a few days later in Jerusalem. The authorities there, led by Caiaphas, began to plot against Jesus, and this led to the death of the man from Nazareth just before Passover. The story today is about Lazarus, a man about whom we know quite a bit, but whose voice we never hear. The raising of Lazarus was the last of the signs that Jesus performed before the final week of his life. It forms a pair with the first sign that Jesus reluctantly performed at that wedding at Cana in Galilee. There Jesus turned water into wine to spare the embarrassment of a host who had underestimated the thirst of his guests. At the end of his ministry, outside Jerusalem, Jesus called a dead man out of his tomb. These two miracles, like all the other signs that Jesus performed, had different levels. At one level, these miracles helped alleviate suffering from the relatively trivial discomfort of a bridegroom, red-faced before his friends, to the deep-set grief and suffering of a family to whom Jesus was close. But on another level, these miracles were signs of God's kingdom and of God's power at work in Jesus. The miracle at Cana was about God affirming human life, but it was also marking the beginning of Jesus' time, his hour. The miracle at Bethany, when a wedding back in Galilee must have seemed a long way away, was also marking time. Here in Bethany, with Jesus in another family situation, although this time one of mourning rather than celebration, this miracle marked the time for Jesus' life to move on, to move on to Jerusalem, where he would face his final hour. It was the hour in which some people saw him in a different light. In the account that's told by the other three writers of the Gospel story, the moment that made the authorities decide that Jesus needed to be eliminated seems to have been the overthrowing of the tables of those selling animals for sacrifices and changing money for offerings, and also what was perceived as a threat against the temple itself. John paints a slightly different picture. Here it is this miracle of life in the face of death that provoked the authorities. The leaders knew that something needed to be done. As Eugene Peterson translates this in his message version of the Bible, this man keeps on doing things, creating God signs. If we let him go on, pretty soon everyone will be believing in him, and the Romans will come and remove what little power and privilege we still have. But one man knew what had to be done. It tends to be Pilate that is most associated with the death of Jesus. It was, of course, only Pilate who had the power to pass sentence under Roman rule. But it was Caiaphas who was the driving force behind what happened to Jesus. The sign that was hung over the cross on which Jesus died had the words, Jesus, King of the Jews. It was written to mock Jesus, but an attempt to have that made clearer by adding that this was what Jesus himself had said did not succeed. The words of Caiaphas had the same ring about them. Don't you know anything? 
Can't you see that it's to our advantage that one man dies for the people rather than the whole nation be destroyed? The writer of the Gospel, John, offered his own commentary on the words that Caiaphas spoke. He unwittingly prophesied that Jesus was about to die sacrificially for the nation, and not only for the nation, but so that all God's scattered children might be gathered together into one people. Jesus was about to die sacrificially for the world. He would die at the hands of men who feared that their power would be taken from them because one man showed that he had power over death itself. Jesus showed at Cana that he had the creative power that is only God's. Here at Bethany, he showed that he had the power that is God's to give life. An odd touch here in Bethany is the two displays of emotion that Jesus makes within a few lines of each other. Martha had left the house to meet Jesus on the way and then went back to tell Mary that Jesus was coming. Mary also then went out of the town to where Martha had met Jesus and where he had stayed. With Mary went the others who had been wailing with her. When Jesus saw Mary and the other women, he was, our Bibles tell us, deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Why so? One suggestion is that Jesus was angered at the way in which death grips our world. But death is not the major force in John's writing, as it is in, say, Paul's. You might remember Paul's use of a quotation from the book of the prophet Hosea. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? There is another explanation, which is that Jesus was angry at Mary and with her companions. This might seem a little harsh to us, that Jesus was angry with Mary and her friends for being upset that her brother had died. But we need to look closely at what John tells us that Mary and Martha said and what Mary and her friends were doing. Mary and Martha both said, Master, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Whereas Mary left it at that, Martha went further in what she said to Jesus. Even now, she said, I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. In contrast to Martha, Mary did not believe that the arrival of Jesus meant any more than that he could commiserate with her and her sister. But Martha believed that even now, four days after Lazarus had died, Jesus could do the impossible. It is after this that we are told that Jesus is deeply distressed before he asks to be taken to the grave and then Jesus himself wept. The problem we have with these verses is that the words that are translated as weeping and wept are not the same. The verb that applies to Mary and her friends is more akin to the wailing that goes on at a funeral. We are talking about noisy crying. This contrasts with the silent tears of Jesus. If we concentrate for a moment on what happened when Jesus heard Mary and her friends wailing, we might imagine that Jesus was angry because their lack of faith meant that they had not taken hope in his arrival. 
The sudden change in Jesus' feelings came when he saw the tomb in which his dead friend had been laid. Having been angered by the lack of faith shown by Mary and her friends, here Jesus was confronted with the reality of death, the reality of death for humanity. Jesus may have been angered by the lack of faith of his fellow human beings, but he was also moved by the finality and inevitability of the shadow that death casts back upon their lives. There is another possibility, and we shouldn't rule out that there were multiple reasons for Jesus being distressed. The crowd said, See how he loved Lazarus. But we have come to understand, as we've read some of these stories in the Gospel of John, that people never really understand what is really going on. You see, as well as seeing Lazarus in a tomb, Jesus saw himself there. Jesus was experiencing something like a Gethsemane moment. He knows that calling Lazarus out of the tomb means that he must enter it. Because the belief in Jesus generated by his raising Lazarus prompts the religious leaders to plot his own death. But for Jesus there is no other way, because only in this act can he be the resurrection and the life for the world. And so, while the crowds are unaware, we the readers see in and through the Lazarus story the Jesus story. Jesus is troubled and weeping. The tomb is not far from Jerusalem. The tomb is a cave with a large stone covering the opening. The stone is rolled away. Jesus cries with a loud voice. The grave cloth is left at the tomb. Sound familiar? After it was all over, Lazarus out of the tomb, his bandages unravelled and everyone had gone home, things did not go back to normal. Some of those who'd seen what had happened would have shared in Mary, Martha and Lazarus's joy. But some of them went and grasped on Jesus to the Pharisees. It was this that provoked the meeting I mentioned earlier, at which Caiaphas spoke words that were an unintentional prophecy. One man, Jesus, must die so that the people might be saved. We only meet Lazarus once more when, with his sisters, he was at a meal in honour of Jesus. And John tells us that there was quite a crowd, apart from the invited guests, because they all wanted to see Lazarus, the man who had been dead but was now alive. This meant that Lazarus was also a marked man. If the authorities could, in the parlance of the Godfather or the Sopranos, have him whacked, and quietly sent off to sleep with the fishes, Jesus would be discredited as the Bethany resurrection could be put down to hysteria on the part of a lot of silly women. If Lazarus did fall foul of Caiaphas, we're not told. Indeed, we're told nothing more about him. Jesus demonstrated that he has power over life and death, and that not even the grave can defeat him. Life is an important concept in John's book, and it is linked with the defining adjective eternal as many as 17 times. To many of these instances, eternal life is linked to believing. This is typified in John chapter 6, verse 47. 
Truly I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. Lazarus had tasted death, but he had also experienced the power of Jesus to bring about new life. Lazarus was raised to demonstrate this power to offer a foretaste of Jesus' resurrection to come, and so that people might believe and know the life that death cannot touch. I wonder what happened to Lazarus. Was he scarred by what happened to him? Did he carry the physical marks of death and decay upon his body? How much of the world beyond did Lazarus see? We speak of Lazarus as having been saved from death, but I wonder whether he was actually held back from the life that Jesus offered. Perhaps it's too close to idle speculation to ask where Lazarus went over the course of his long weekend away from life. Those who rejoiced in Lazarus's return thought it was a good thing that he'd come back, and in most circumstances, if it was our loved one who'd been dead but was now alive, we would think so too. But how much do we and should we cling to life? How much do we really believe that death is not the end? How much do we believe that the postponement of death, as happened to Lazarus, is absolutely the best thing that could happen to us? How much does our lack of faith anger Jesus? Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief, because I still do not want to die. I believe Jesus has power to raise the dead, only I don't want him practicing on me. I want a God who will cut my losses and cushion my failures, a God who will grant me a life free from pain. I want a God who will rescue me from death, who will delete it from the human experience and find another way in which to operate. What I, what all of us have instead, is a God who resurrects us from the dead, putting an end to it by working through it instead of around it creating life in the midst of grief, creating love in the midst of loss, creating faith in the midst of despair, resurrecting us from our big and our little deaths, showing us by his own example that the only road to Easter morning runs straight through Good Friday. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says to grieving Martha, not I will be, but I am, right here, right now. Resurrection and life for anyone willing to believe that it might just be true. It is not a safe story, but it is a strong one, a story with power to lead us through the graveyard and then out the other side.
Let us pray. God of comfort and peace, we place in your tender care those who mourn the death of a loved one, those where the passing is recent, those for whom it is a time of anniversary, and those for whom the pain never seems to get any better. May your love strengthen and support them. God of yesterday and today, we pray for those who are devastated by their current situations. We remember the people of cities in Ukraine that have been destroyed in the war there, the people of Syria and Turkey who have lost homes and livelihoods in the recent earthquake. 
those who've lost jobs because of the current economic situation. May your wisdom encourage and guide them. God of power and love, we hold before you our planet. You are at the heart of creation, and we are destroying the beautiful world that you have made. Give strength and wisdom to those offering advice and those making decisions concerning the changes that are happening to our world. May our actions be in time to preserve what you have created. God of today and tomorrow, your grace is eternal and knows no ending. We pray for those who have lost hope as a result of the cost of living crisis, those who are fearful of what the future holds, those who do not know how they will pay for food or heating. We pray for those awaiting test results who are worried that they will receive bad news and do not know how they will cope. May the promise of new life enable them to face tomorrow. Comfort those who mourn and fill them with your peace. May your love bring comfort and strength and peace to all those who need it for whatever reason. In silence we name before you any about whom we are especially concerned at this time. Hear our prayer, gracious God, for we offer it in the name of our Saviour, Jesus, and for his sake. Amen. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy Darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace in every stormy gale. My anchor holds within the veil. When he shall Oh.
last song very much fits our theme as we hear about sorrow having been turned into dancing. But first, a final prayer. Lord, be with us on our journey of life. As we travel with you in the coming days, may we share your love and compassion with those we meet whose path is hard. Transform us and transform them with your life-giving love. Amen. song into my heart. Jesus put this song into my heart. It's a song of joy no one can take away. Jesus put this song into Sorrow is